So for any of you that came along this evening, looking forward to hearing from Ian Moore on the subject of celebration and praise. Um, as you would have picked up, Ian once and for all pays to the myth that he is Superman this week by proving that he can't fly. Um, and uh, he sustained some really nasty injuries falling down a flight of stairs. So um, thank you, Joan, for leading us in prayer for Ian and Carol. And please do continue to pray for them uh, this coming week. As Joan said, they give so much to all of us, and it's right that we should give back to them. And, uh, and the best way we can do that is through prayer. So let's, let's remember Ian and Carol at this time for the coming days and weeks. So today is as we say, a celebration service, a time to focus on what is good in life. And there are things, no matter what what we might have going on in life, no matter how negative things can sometimes feel, there is always something good to focus on. There is always a blessing. And if if we can't think of anything, then it means that we're taking something for granted. There is always something to be thankful for. We're going to start by looking at um, a passage from Philippians Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. This is Paul reminding the Philippians that there is always something to be thankful for. There is always something to celebrate. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now Paul is writing to um, the Philippians who... Uh, before the church was planted in the city of Philippi, was a pagan uh, uh, population. And these pagan rituals were still practised by by many outside the church. It was just the way things were done. And at this time, this wasn't unusual at all. Churches had been planted in, in Ephesus, in Rome, in Corinth, in Philippi, and many other cities as well. But just like today... Often those churches were surrounded by a whole host of other beliefs, other faith systems, other traditions and rituals. Now imagine just for a second what it must have been like to have been a first century Christian. To have had it explained to you that Jesus, this guy who you may even have witnessed or certainly heard about being crucified on the cross having claimed, made these blasphemous claims of being the son of God, of of being God in in human form, God incarnate, suddenly realising, hang on, it makes sense. It all adds up. 
the prophecies. They were fulfilled. He was who he said he was. Look at the miracles. Look at the healings. Look at his, his, his humility on the cross. We got this wrong. There must have been a tremendous sense of guilt when the penny dropped. Even if they weren't actually there on the day of the crucifixion, they may well have been pleased when they heard the news. This, 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 this blasphemer has been put to death. Well, quite right. And then they suddenly realised, actually, this blasphemer was no blasphemer. This blasphemer was God. And so, often, as all the other pagan rituals and festivals and traditions were, were taking place around them, as gods were being, were being celebrated and, and all the different, um, different pagan gods, their individual rituals were being observed and these parties were taking place, the church was a much more sombre place to be. There was an awful lot of repentance, an awful lot of soul-searching, an awful lot of self-pity and self-loathing because of what had been done to Jesus. But Paul sees the need to celebrate. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. We are not perfect. We make mistakes. Our generation had, a, had an opportunity to recognise Jesus, and some did, but the rest of us didn't. But it's not too late. It's not too late. So rejoice in the fact that it's not too late. Rejoice in the fact that we are not condemned by what's happened. Instead, rejoice in the fact that because what's happened has happened, we have been saved. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. This is so important. I'm going to reiterate it straight after I've just said it. I will say it again. Rejoice. Don't feel self-pity. Don't beat yourselves up. Rejoice. God is a God who doesn't condemn us for our past. He doesn't condemn us because of what we've done. Instead, he looks to our future and says it's never too late. It is never too late to make good what you've done. Often these pagan festivals were, they were quite regular. They were, they were loud, unorganised, often sacrifice-focused. People would get drunk. There would often be temple prostitutes involved. They, they, were, they weren't what we would call a, a, a good party. Paul says, celebrate Christianity. Celebrate your God. But let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't celebrate in a way that is lording it up and that is, is, is trying to sort of put it, rub it in the faces of those around you. Celebrate, but do it in the right way. Do it in a Christian way. Do it in a way that reflects the teachings of Jesus. Love your neighbour, but celebrate your God. It's difficult, isn't it, sometimes celebrating, um, but being gentle at the same time. I was trying to think of a, an image, and I haven't experienced anything in my life. Um, uh, not that I go rubbing it in people's faces when I'm celebrating things, but it's, it's, just, it's just something that we don't, it doesn't always sink in when, when we see these things. But one, one image I did have, um, this, uh, well, last summer's World Cup, after England had beaten Colombia in a penalty shootout, the first time they've ever won a World Cup penalty shootout. 
And all the players were, were, were going ballistic and jumping on each other and doing what, what they normally do. And, and to be honest, me and my mates, we were watching it and we were doing similar things. And we were absolutely over the moon. They'd finally won a Pemsey shoes out. Fantastic. And then there was that camera shot of the England manager, Gareth Southgate, who himself had been involved in a penalty shootout in 1996, and he'd missed the penalty, I'm sure you're all aware. He'd missed the penalty that had put England out against Germany, of all people. And he had suffered incredible amounts of abuse for years after that, not just on the football pitch, but in the streets. He was constantly reminded of that moment of failure He knew the pain, he knew that suffering. And so, as all the players and the fans, both in in Russia and in in, in England, up and down the country, were celebrating and going crazy, there was this shot of Gareth Southgate walking over to the Colombian player who had missed the decisive penalty, putting his arm round him and consoling him. Southgate celebrated, he applauded the fans and he he, he celebrated, but his gentleness was known. Now, I've got no idea whether or not Southgate is a Christian, but in that moment, we saw gentleness being, being known whilst he was rejoicing. Paul says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. I was reading up a bit on some of the, um, some of the different uh, pagan gods that were worshipped in Philippi at this time. And... One commentator said um, that this reference to anxiety is an acknowledgement that actually being a pagan wasn't a particularly happy way to live because you were constantly anxious about knowingly or unknowingly upsetting one of the many gods. Some of them had contradicting instructions. How on earth you just can't win in a system like that? And so you lived in this, 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 this anxiety Have I made the right sacrifices? Have I done the right things, no matter how moral or immoral, that that are required to to satisfy these different gods? Paul says to the Christians, to the church, the early church in Philippi, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your requests to God. In everything. In everything. Now, I've never been a fan of preaching that we should pray into the the tiny, trivial, what colour socks should I wear today? Um, What should I have for breakfast? What time should I walk out of the house? Some things I just think God's given us common sense. Come on. But actually, Paul says there, Paul says, no, Tom, you're wrong. You should pray about everything. Every detail. Have this this ongoing conversation with God. It's up to God to decide whether he wants to answer or not. And frankly, yeah, God probably couldn't care less what colour socks we wear, as long as we go out and do his will. But who are we to decide what decisions in our life God can and cannot be involved in? It makes sense that in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving and acknowledgement that even being able to make a choice in life is a privilege, with thanksgiving, we present our requests to God. 
It's up to God what he does with that. But there's no prayer too small. There's no detail too insignificant. There's nothing trivial that we present to God. It's not up to us to decide those things. It's up to us to give God access to all areas of our life. Paul says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels that we don't live in a particularly peaceful society. Um, I've never been on social media. I've never been on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> I, firstly, I probably don't have enough friends to warrant it. Um, but uh, secondly, I've just, I've just, you don't miss what you don't have, and I'm quite happy not, not being on these things. Um, but a little while ago, I was, I was very surprised. There was um, a couple that I knew very well who, who sadly, their relationship broke down and they, they ended up divorcing. And um, one of them sent me a, a, a text message saying, Hi, Tom, I see you've defriended me on Facebook. Really sorry about, I'm really sorry about this news. I was really hoping we could stay friends, but clearly you don't want to. So, so it's been nice knowing you. And that was, that was the message. And so I went back and said, I've got no idea what you're talking about. We were never friends in the first place. And I got the response saying, we must have been. I've known you for years. I said, I know, I've never been on Facebook. And eventually a phone call, as, as often happens in this situation, um, a conversation revealed the, the, the ridiculousness of it. But someone was upset because they, they suddenly thought, I wonder, I, I, can't see, I can't see Tommy in my list of friends on Facebook. He didn't realise that it's just because I'm so far behind the times that I haven't actually entered the realm of Facebook yet. He immediately took offence and said, oh, so you've defriended me. No, I haven't. I haven't. Don't live with this anxiety. You know, social media, I know it's easy to blame social media for so many things, and it does so much good as well as, as bad, but it does create this, this, this anxiety I've been defriended. Why? What's happened? What's gone wrong? You were never friended in the first place. We're friends. Isn't that enough? That caused anxiety. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. (coughs) This morning, there was a great example of the peace of God. And uh, it came, I was going to use it in this morning's service when I was talking about holiness, but I didn't want to embarrass the worship band, so I didn't. But um, the worship band was setting up this morning, before the service, and um, there was one or two comments about the, the drum kit not being set up yet. And it turned out that a, a misunderstanding of rotors, um, the, the drummer had not realised that there was that they were down to play, and so we didn't have drums this morning. And um, the, the worship band were, they, they'd been sort of, well, what, what's going on? When are we going to start practising? Come on, we need the drummer. And eventually the message came through, really sorry, didn't realise. And the response, um, it, was, it was Andy Gowden standing there with his bass. He just, he just said, oh, well, that's good, we've got more room. <laughs> I thought, what a lovely response. There was no panic. There was no, what are we going to do without a drummer? There was nothing like that. It was, oh, okay, fair enough. And I thought, that's the non-anxious presence. That could have been, that could have been a catastrophe. That could have been a stress and a, what are we going to do? Who else can play? What? But instead, oh, well, we've got a bit more room. 
Now, I'm not saying, oh, I've got to say, this, we've got drummers sitting there in the front row, arms folded, and I'm not saying that drum, drummers get in the way or anything like that, but I just thought, what a wonderful way of dealing with the situation. I'm just, uh, before I get a, a legion of drummers at my front door tomorrow morning. The peace of God, it transcends all understanding. The world tells us to get irate about things, to lash out about things, to demand justice. The peace of God doesn't. It doesn't always make sense, but so often we can just feel this sense of peace and we think, this makes no sense, I shouldn't feel this peaceful. But I do, because I know God's with me. And I celebrate that, I rejoice in that. Paul goes on, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, when we begin to feel that anxiety, when we begin to get wrapped up in in the fear of what's going on around us. We feel like things are closing in and we've got, we might have deadlines or we might have difficult home situations or relationships breaking down or job pressures, whatever it might be. That's the time to count the blessings. That's the time to focus on what God's given us, on the good things that we have in our lives, the things that sometimes we can take for granted. It's such a good exercise to, to, to write down or at least mentally list all the blessings that we have received from God and that we receive on a daily basis. If we don't take the time to do that, then yeah, we're going to get inundated by all the pressures of the world. But if we take the time to focus on the blessings that we've received from God, then we feel close to him. We feel that he's got us. We have that confidence in him, that security that strength of faith, that boldness that carries us through whatever else is going on in the world around us. Paul lists these things, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, whatever in your life you take heart from, whatever you feel blessed by, whatever it is, Whatever it is, think about these things. And when we're listing our prayers, when we're listing the trivialities, when we're going through those times where we think everything's rosy, I haven't prayed for a few days, that's the time to pray. That's the time to get back on track, get our prayer life straight. Because if we get into the, into the habit of surrounding every little detail of our life in prayer, then when, when, when the trivialities stop and the big decisions come, we are in the habit of shielding ourselves, surrounding ourselves, immersing ourselves in prayer, of pulling ourselves close to God and saying, God, this is a biggie. Forget the socks this morning, this is a biggie. Sometimes we need to do that. And in those moments, in those moments... Sometimes we can feel that God's abandoned us, God's not there, we're feeling a bit empty. But in those moments, it is so important that we cling tight to the blessings that we have. There was once in my life when I was off on a weekend um, adventure training exercise with the air cadets. um, And we were 
we'd started off kayaking, we were in dry suits, and we'd finished kayaking, and we were in quite a, a fast-flowing river, but it was, it was safe. And um, we, did, we, we just jumped in, in in dry suits, and that was a funny feeling, because they're full of air, and you sort of float, and you can swim around, and you, you're bone dry inside. It's, it's, they're, they're very tight-fitting and completely waterproof, obviously. Um, anyway... Um, that was the one time in my life that I've been swept away by a current. Um, they did tell us not to go out of our depth, make sure you can always touch the bottom. Um, and uh, stupidly, a couple of us decided to test how dangerous it really was. And it turned out that it was fairly dangerous. And I remember I, I, I lost my footing and I realised I couldn't swim against the current. No matter how hard I swam, I was being taken further and further away. And eventually I managed to kind of move over towards the side of, of the riverbank. It's quite a big, wide river. And there was a tree, and I just grabbed onto this tree. And I knew I couldn't get out. The bank was too, too steep, um, and the, I sort of didn't have footwear. Dry suits aren't made to climb up uh, wet, slippery, muddy banks. Um, there was no way out. The only thing I could do was cling onto this tree. And it wasn't particularly big or strong. It was, I could literally hold onto it with one hand, but that was it. Now, I know that's a slightly trivial example, but in that moment, I was very aware that if that thing gave way, I couldn't see anything else downstream that I could cling to. That became very important to me. That one little tree poking out. I clung to that. I wouldn't have given it a second look had I not been clinging to it for dear life. It suddenly became very important to me. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy in your life, think about such things. Not just in times of crisis, but every single day. Celebrate what God has given you, what God has done for you, what God continues to to do for you every single day. Celebrate it. Be thankful Paul was a confident guy, wasn't he? We can tell that from the end of this passage. You see, I don't think I would ever have the confidence to tell you to look at me for an example of something. Because I know that I'm a sinner just like we all are. I'm as flawed as the next guy. Paul says, Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul is writing to the first generation of Christians in Philippi. He is writing to people who maybe didn't have many Christian role models to to look up to. Maybe they were still all struggling to identify what Christian character looks like, what we should be, how we should be living. They They were still working out what we would consider to be the fundamental details of a Christian life. And so Paul says... I'm probably the best role model you've had. So whatever you saw me do, whatever you learned or received or heard from me or saw in me, put out into practice. This isn't Paul being arrogant. But for us, we all need to have Christian role models. We all need to have people that we look up to, people that we look to for advice, for an example. I know that I've got people like that, and they have been absolutely fundamental to my development in my faith. 
I know I've turned to them time and time again. And they have been that branch that I've been clinging to when the tide's been too strong for me to cope with on my own. So whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in those people, I think they used to be called the fathers in the faith, people that, that just have this, this wisdom, this, this knowledge and understanding of scripture, this perception of, of how to live in a way that honours God. We all need that. And I think it's true to say we all need that regardless of the stage in life that we're at. We all need that. And that's another blessing. God gives us this, our church family, our fellowship. Each and every one of us here tonight, each and every one of us on the members list, the friends list, has a story, has experiences, has ways in which God has has spoken to them, has moved them, has used them, has, has, has acted in their lives. We need to share our stories to get to know how we all perceive God and then put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times that we've taken you for granted. For all the times that we have missed a blessing. All the times that we've had the audacity to moan that you haven't done something when we've wanted it or how we've wanted it done. And yet we haven't acknowledged all the things that you have done. Father, we repent of that this evening and we... We ask for your forgiveness and we celebrate and rejoice in the fact that when we come before you and repent with sincere hearts, we know that forgiveness is granted. So Father, we give thanks for that and we pray that you will help us to to count our blessings, to celebrate all the things that you do for us on a daily basis, to celebrate the, the gifts that you've given us And we pray, Lord, also that you will help us to look around us, to celebrate the lives of those that we worship alongside, to learn their stories, to get to know them. To learn from the mistakes they've made, but also to learn from the positive things that they've done. Help us not to be too proud to ask for advice. And help us not to be too busy to give it. Lord, we are your church not just a collection of individuals, but a family, a fellowship, part of the body of Christ. It is a privilege to be able to say that, that we are a church. We are your church. And Lord, that should be celebrated. So Father, we pray that you will help us as we go from this place this evening to go with a spring in our step, To go feeling the joy of knowing the God of peace. And through that, 
May we share you with others. May we set the example that brings other people to you. May we become the spiritual role models that other people who don't even know you yet will come to rely upon as they seek a relationship with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joan and the band are going to come back now and we're going to respond to those words by singing, I will bless the Lord forever. I just think that was a slightly odd thing to say, I will bless the Lord. What right have we got to bless the Lord? But actually, by living out those words in Philippians, we can bless God by doing his will, by honouring him. So let's sing this together.